How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the Creative Collision Podcast. This is Saeed here. Um, on this episode, I'm going to talk about uh, episodes five and six of the Last Dance documentary. I'm going to recap recap those two uh, episodes that aired. Um, then on the second part of this podcast, I'm going to um, I'm going to break down and and talk about my top ten shooting guards of all time. So um, I started a, a position by position uh, breakdown or a list of my personal top 10 players at each position in the NBA. So on the last podcast, um, I did my top 10 point guards of all time. Um, and on this episode, I'm going to do my top 10 shooting guards of all time. And then on the, you know, if I get to it, if I have enough time still, um, if it doesn't drag on too long, I want, I'm going to talk about something that, um, something that I've been, I've been, uh, wanting to talk about a little bit here recently. Um, I wanted to discuss this. I'm a big fan of, uh, you guys, if you listened to me before, I'm a big fan of Breaking Bad, the TV show. Um, and Better Call Saul, I'm also a big fan of. Um, so Better Call Saul season five just finished about two weeks ago now. And I was thinking, I was thinking the other day, um, it's better call Saul now, just as good as Breaking Bad. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, after after uh, episode nine, no, it was episode eight. After episode eight of season five of Better Call Saul aired, which was Bagman. Um, after that episode, I posted on Facebook that Better Call Saul is now just as good as Breaking Bad because I thought the episode was so great. I thought the season was so great too. So if I have time, I want to uh, talk about it's better call Saul now, just as good as Breaking Bad or even better. But I do think it's worth discussing now at this point. So, so I'll see if I get to that. Um, and, uh, I'll finish, I'll finish with that. But, uh, first things first to start off with, uh, um, the last dance documentary of the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan, uh, episodes five and six. And, uh, man, yeah, just my, my initial, my initial thoughts is this documentary just keeps getting better and better, um, each week. Um, you know, I, I wish we had like 20 episodes of this thing. Right. So, so it's only two more weeks and four more episodes left already. Um, but we're just getting more and more details and we're learning so much more about, um, Michael Jordan and, and, uh, just some of the controversies he had to deal with, um, how famous he really was, how much of the spotlight was really on him, um, and uh, and everything he, he had to go through. Um, so first things first, let's start with episode five, and uh, the first thing we see is, um, in the in the very beginning, uh, the episode is dedicated to Kobe Bryant. So um, I had a feeling they would start with. With uh, Kobe there in the beginning, um, we got like a little tease about it um, last week, so we knew the Kobe episode was coming uh, this week. Um, so again, it's just it's just still so surreal surreal to to see this to see it knowing that you know Kobe's past now and seeing uh you know just seeing how how fondly he talked of Jordan um, and uh, him in that first All Star game, man. That you know he just just a teenager, 19 years old, um, Kobe playing in his uh, very first All-Star game against, uh, you know, the guy he idolized, Michael Jordan, and uh, it just, it's just so, it was just so dope to see, to see that, and at that time, how, what Jordan um, kind of thought of Kobe, and how he was in the locker room, um, in the Eastern Conference locker locker room, <laughs> and he said, "You know that little, that little Laker, that little Laker boy is gonna try to make the game turn to turn the game into a one on one matchup, you know, and and um, you know for Kobe to be, you know, the topic of discussion, at, you know, inside the locker room, at 19 years old, you know, he's you know playing against all these you know superstars of the game, and Kobe at that time, you know." <laughs> No, nobody knew how how good he was gonna become, and you know he said it in in the in the episode that like most people just saw him as this you know that kid that airballed that shot airballs in the playoffs the year before. So seeing how Jordan um, 
that shows how much respect Jordan had for Kobe, that he already noticed him and, and was aware of his, his presence, even as a 19-year-old uh, kid, you know, acknowledging that, you know, he's going to take the game one-on-one and, and uh, you know, Jordan's ready for it and uh, and uh, already kind of like joking around, which, you know, became a joke for like a lot of Kobe's career that he, he shoots too much. And, you know, he, even if he, he's going to keep shooting and shooting, even if he misses, you know, so it was really cool, really cool seeing that. And then um, just the way, yeah, the way Jordan, you can, you know, you can tell how much you really like Kobe and respected him, you know, you know, cause here, here he is, you know, the greatest player in the world. And he's uh, acknowledging a 19 year old, kid you know and and acknowledging that you know he's gonna play a big role in this game and he's gonna bring it to him and and um you know you can tell that Jordan just saw a lot of himself in Kobe and I think that's why he he uh wrapped his arm around him and was so willing to uh, help him throughout his career and uh you see how Kobe you know watching it you see actually how, how Kobe got a little teary-eyed when he talked about how everything he got, you know, everything he got was from Jordan, you know, everything he, he learned was from Jordan and, and, uh, he doesn't win five championships without Jordan. So that, you know, that's, that's such a big statement. That's, you know, even bigger now that he's passed away. So, um, yeah. And in the way he, the way he said it, you can tell Kobe was, you know, feeling, a little emotional saying it too, like this guy really meant a lot to me. He's like my big brother, and then it kind of brings the full circle to uh, to Jordan uh, at Kobe's uh, at Kobe's uh, memorial, where you know he was in tears and and uh, and uh, talking about you know he was in, in tears talking about Kobe and his relationship, how he was a little brother to him, and and Kobe would always you know call him about everything, and and uh, you can see the the mutual respect and. And it went both ways, so it's crazy because I think you know many people didn't know they were that close until Kobe passed, and then you hear Jordan at the memorial, and then you're like, man, Jordan really did love Kobe, and he, they did they were really good good friends. Then you hear Kobe say it in the in the documentary too, so uh, it's just really dope to see that to see that. Uh, know that conversation and had that interview and uh and it really it really just shows you know how how much Kobe looked up to Jordan you know the way that many players um you know today's players looked up to Kobe is the way Kobe looked up to Jordan and and uh you know he got everything from him so so that that was that was a great start to the to the um to the episode um, really, really cool moment. And then, um, I think the rest of episode five, they were talking about, um, the shoes and Jordan signing with Nike. And I, I, I knew that, uh, he, he wanted to sign with Adidas. So I, I heard that Adidas was his first choice, but it was cool seeing how he ended up with Nike and basically, you know, his mom made it happen. His Michael Jordan's mom, you know, convinced them and forced them to take this meeting with Nike, and and look what it turned into, you know. And uh, you just see, you just see now, like how big Nike is. And you know, we grew up, we grew up like my generation, just grew up with Nike being a big name already, and. And Nike just being the, the top shoe brand, but uh, you know, watching the documentary, seeing, seeing um, how Nike was just the startup company and was known for branding like tennis players and and uh, like you know individual players, not team sport uh, players, and uh, like Converse was the basketball shoe back then. So seeing. You know how this one decision, how Jordan just signing with Nike and how they marketed him, just take off, and you know those original Jordan ones, um, with classic shoes, 
and then uh just how how it became so popular and and uh and Jordan said it best, you know, the only reason it really worked though is because he let his game speak for himself. If he was, you know, if he sucked, you know, <laughs> this never would have been what it was. Even if the shoes look cool or whatever it might have been, you know. Um, so seeing that, it was pretty cool. Got a little, little Nas cameo right there. I was dope seeing Nas on there. You know, he's been doing a great job with the, the song selections on, on this uh this whole podcast man just a lot of like hip-hop classics and just uh really cool really cool songs choices which which is it really just works well with the era too they're talking about late 80s uh early mid 90s when like hip-hop you know the the golden age of hip-hop is uh what people will call it you know that late 80s through, through mid 90s era which is when you know jordan uh dominated you know so picking songs from those eras as well to go along with the documentaries really really nice they've done a really good job with that um so yeah that was that was cool seeing that and seeing how adidas just made you know how how bad they fucked up with with that one you know uh letting jordan go to to nike especially when you were his first choice and you know so uh yeah that was that was uh that was interesting to see um, and then we get into, you know, just more deeper details. Uh, I think the gambling stuff is in episode six, so we'll hold off on that right now. But, uh, but in episode five, they did talk about his, his, um, lack of, um, speaking up against political issues. Um, so you had the whole, the whole debate. Um, where the whole, the whole, um, the quote, you know, the famous quote that, you know, I heard this story before about the quote about, uh, uh, Republicans buy tennis shoes too. Um, how Jordan, Jordan, uh, that, that was a quote, but I never knew the details of that quote. So hearing them say that, you know, when I said that we were just in the bus and, you just kind of just say it like what your teammates, you know, you're not really, you know, you're kind of like just having fun, you know, and, and, uh, they took it around with it. And, um, I know that's always been one of the few criticisms about Michael Jordan is that, you know, being this, this powerful, you know, rich and famous black athlete, you know, he, does he have a responsibility to speak up against social issues just because he's in the position he is he's in and he does have a lot of influence and power over people you know he him endorsing a certain candidate could help that person win the an election you know um and you see that you know barack obama was in this episode as well and you see how like when obama was running for president tons of black athletes and black uh you know, musicians and actors all, you know, made sure they were out there supporting Obama and, and, you know, it, it, it helped Obama win. It worked, right? So, uh, you know, seeing how Jordan just didn't, just didn't want to involve himself in politics and, and things he was unfamiliar with. Um, and, and he just said, you know, I'm a basketball player and uh, I'm, I'm not going to speak out of term about things I don't know about, which I agree with um, because I think a lot of people nowadays are always speaking about shit they don't know about. <laughs> They're always speaking about out of term, you know, because everybody can anybody can go on, on Twitter, on Facebook and just tweet an opinion about someone or something without ever doing their knowledge about it. So nowadays we have everybody just speaking out of term. And Jordan, you know, they wanted him to speak out of term, you know, and, you know, you can blame him for just saying, well, you should be educated because you should be a little more responsible about what's going on in your just state, you know, that you're from and who's running for senator. Um, you know, maybe you should. But again, he's not a politician. It's not his responsibility. And and I understand where he was coming from with that. Um I guess, I guess, 
at that time, you know, you get it right. Um, but I, I guess that's something you could still say is that, well, now Jordan is, you know, he's a lot older and he still doesn't really speak up about uh, social issues and things like that. So if you want to kind of take a shot at him now, currently, then I think, I think you have, you might have an argument and have a reason. Um, but at that time, I give him a pass for not wanting to uh, speak on, um, you know, the, the election that year. Um, let me look up the name. It was Grant was uh, the um, uh, it was Grant versus. Let me look up look up the the uh, the names. I want to get the the names right. So I'm doing that. Yeah. So. Yeah, that that was you know that was a big issue right there. Harvey 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 Gantt, excuse me, versus Jesse Helms, and Jesse Helms is kind of this you know this conservative, super conservative person. Um, it was a close election. I'm just looking it up right now. Uh, Jesse Helms, fifty-two point six percent to forty-seven point four, so it was really close, you know. So maybe if Jordan speaked out about it, Gantt probably would have won. You know, he probably. He had enough influence and, and power at that time. Or maybe, you know, if he did speak up and in, in support of, uh, of Harvey Gantt, that, then he probably would have, he probably could have won. He he only lost by, he only lost by about 100,000 votes, you know. Uh, you know, you don't think Jordan, you know, there's 100,000 Jordan fans that might have voted for Jesse Helms, but if Jordan publicly, you know, went out and supported Harvey Gantt, then they would have maybe voted for him. So, you know, it, it was, it was definitely a big deal and you, I could see why people were mad at the time. But like, I, again, I give him a pass at that time for, for not wanting to speak about something he didn't know about and a, a person he didn't know, you know, and he did say he, he did politically contribute to him, you know, send contributions to him. So, so, you know, it is what it is. He just didn't want to speak publicly about something he didn't know. And I don't think you can really blame him a whole lot for that. So, um, so yeah, that was the big, the big topic in episode five. Um, then you, you know, you get into the 92 finals and, and him versus Clyde Drexler and, and, uh, Drexler, any comparisons to him? And he's like, nah, fuck that. You're not on, not even close to being on my level and killing him and, um, you know, Drexler, Hall of Famer, great player, but he was, you know, he's nowhere near on Jordan's level. So and you can see how Jordan just used any little, any little, uh, edge, any little, any little thing he can, he can for motivation. He used it, you know? So you see that in the 92 finals with Clyde Drexler, then in 93, it's, you know, like Dan Marley, just because Jerry Krause liked Dan Marley. So he's like, fuck that guy. <laughs> like, it's so funny just seeing how anything Jerry Krause likes or anybody he likes, he's, you know, fuck that. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to kill this person. Tony Kukoc, Dan Marley. I'm like, dude, poor Kukoc. I felt bad for Kukoc. You know, I was like, man, what do you have to do with anything? Why are you being so mean to him? <laughs> like, fuck, dude. Like, and he's just like so oblivious. He's like, I don't know what's going on in Chicago. Like, I didn't know they had all this turmoil and, and you know all these differences between Jordan and and Scottie Pippen and Jerry Krause, and and then you see how Jordan and Pippen just like fucking treated Kukoc like shit in the Olympics. So man, they would use any little thing for motivation. Man, Mike would just any little any little edge, any little motivation he could. Like he would just use it. So um, yeah, that was that was episode five. Uh, uh, the key, the you know. The, they started getting to more personal stuff and started in episode five with the, um, with the, uh, political campaign and Jordan, Jordan, uh, not wanting to con support publicly, uh, somebody, you know, that he doesn't really know a lot about. And, and I like, I just like how he didn't, he stood his ground still, you know? And he said, like, hey, you know, uh, what I try to do is set good examples. But, you know, if you don't like something, then maybe I'm not the guy you're supposed to be, you know, following. I'm not supposed to be, I'm not the person you're supposed to look to, you know. 
for the, uh, for guidance. So I like how he still stood his ground and, you know, he's, he's answering these questions that people have always wanted, always wanted to ask him about and have always wondered about him. So, so yeah, that was episode five. Then we get into episode six <clears throat> and episode six kind of starts on this very somber, somber, uh, scene where, where, uh, Jordan's repeating, um, he's shooting a commercial and he's repeating, uh, a line over and over, uh, it's like it's hard to be, you know, people want to be Michael Jordan for a day, but I say, you know, you, you know, you, to get, to really know how it feels to be me, you have to be Michael Jordan for a year. So something along those lines, he's repeating over and over. And as he's saying it, you can see in that scene, he's just starting to get frustrated and he's the, the, just the stress and, and the pressure and everything's starting to get to him. So in episode six, we're in the, the 92, 93 season, you know, trying to cap off that three P that first three P and then, um, they get to the 92 playoffs against the Knicks and he leaves to go, I think it was after game two. And then, uh, he goes to Atlantic city to go gamble with his, with his dad. And, and then, uh, that becomes a big, a big deal. Um, <clears throat> the media is all over him about it and like, you know, gambling in between playoff games. So episode six focuses on Jordan's gambling, uh, his gambling. I don't, I don't want to say addiction, but it's, you know, his gambling that he does, <laughs> I guess, you know, because uh, I don't know if he's an addict or not. Right. He says he's not. So in episode six, we get into how much he loves gambling and 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 uh, we start to see that and that's, you know, we've always heard about Jordan's gambling and how much he likes to gamble. So really, really, really cool that they went there with it, you know, that we actually are hearing Jordan's side of, of the story and, and his gambling. Um, there's a lot of conspiracies about Jordan and his gambling, you know, so for those that don't know, one of the theories is um, his dad was murdered because of gambling. You know, that Jordan had uh, a big gambling problem and a gambling debt that he owed to you know, somebody important, the mafia or somebody, you know. And that's the theory that the that, you know, the mafia couldn't kill Jordan because that would, <laughs> that would, that would really, like, set the, you know, the country on fire, right? It's, you know, it's too much. And instead of going after Jordan, they went after his dad um, as retributions for gambling debt that Jordan owed. So and it's a dark theory. It's it's something that I could see happen happening and something that I could see could be true. Um, Michael Francis his uh I don't know if anybody if you guys have heard who that that uh, that name but he is a ex mob boss and um pretty pretty big ex mob boss that uh has done a couple of interviews on uh Vlad TV and he and he spoke on that that conspiracy as well and he said you know that he didn't know he doesn't know for sure uh, but there's, you know, pretty, he has a pretty strong idea and, and a pretty strong indication that Jordan's dad was killed because of gambling debt that he owed to the mafia. And this is, you know, an ex-mob boss that was pretty high ranked and was up there, man. This guy, his name was mentioned in Goodfellas. <laughs> um, so he's a big, well-known mob boss. Um, who's out of the mom now? Um, so he he had an you know pretty strong indication that he he was killed because of that. Um, but either way, I mean, I don't think they'll get into that on the documentary. They'll get into his dad passing away, um, because that was a huge part of Jordan's life and a huge part of what happens after the '93 season and. And it's his decision to retire. So, 
I know in the next episode we're gonna get some, you know, just some some scenes about his dad passing away, his dad being murdered, and and his his uh, decision to retire because of that. So um, that's the other theory too. The other theory, other conspiracy theory, is that the reason Michael Jordan retired after the '93 season, after the first repeat, is because. David Stern was going to punish Michael Jordan and, susp- and suspend him for his gambling. And Jordan didn't want to get suspended and and you know, look bad publicly like that. So before Stern got a chance to suspend him, Jordan retired. Um, or maybe David, you know, the theory is David Stern might have just kind of told Jordan, you know, you might need to take a break for a year here. You know, you have to leave the NBA for a year here if you don't want to look too bad because if you don't leave, something's going to happen. I might have, I'm going to have to punish you and it's not going to be a good look for your endorsements and, and you know, it's not going to be a good look for, for your image. So that's other theory. We'll see if we get anything on that in the next episode. Um, um, David Stern talked about it a little bit on the, on the uh, on the episode in episode six too. They, you know, they said how they looked into it and um and and from what they saw, it's just that Jordan Jordan gambled, um you know he, you know wagered a lot of money, but he didn't do anything illegal. It wasn't a, becoming a problem for the team and for the NBA. Um, and David Stern said on the on. And the episode that they just left it at that. So David Stern doesn't, you know, he's not putting any fuel to that conspiracy or that he had anything to do with Michael Jordan retiring. And I, I'm kind of on that side with this one uh, because Michael Jordan was the biggest name in the world at that time in the NBA. He brought in so much money to the NBA. Why would David Stern want him gone, you know? So uh, that one, that one's always going to be kind of a tricky tricky one there um uh, but yeah i mean that it's and he, you know jordan what jordan says is he he doesn't have a gambling problem he has an a, a com- competition problem and i do agree with that i do I, you, and you see that in the documentary he's constantly betting on golf he's betting he's playing quarters with <laughs> the security guards like he's constantly competing and betting on any little thing he can, you know, and it's not, he's not doing it for financial gain. He's not doing it for the money. Um, because, you know, you, there's that scene where is it Will Perdue is saying that, you know, uh, Jordan, Ron Harper and Scottie Pippen would be in the back of the bus and they're gambling, wagering thousand dollars at a time. And, you know, Will Perdue is in the front of the bus with John Paxton and, um, I think it says BJ Armstrong. They're they're playing blackjack for a dollar a hand. So Michael Jordan goes up and will go up to them and want to gamble with them, and they're only paying playing for a dollar a hand. So it's not like he's doing it for the money. It's you know what Purdue says is because I just want to have your money in my pocket. Like he was Jordan man. He he was always wanting to compete in something and just wanted to be the best at everything and. And wanted to win at everything, so I I believe him when he said that it's more of a competition problem that he has and a gambling uh, problem. I think he just enjoys and loves gambling. And a lot of people do. We just we idolize these athletes and we expect them to be perfect. And and you know it's it's not like he's doing anything. You know he's he likes to gamble. You know he's you know he's not doing anything out to other he's not doing drugs or whatever it may be and there's there you know people have their vices man his vice is gambling his vice is competing on everything he's you know he's just ultra crazy with competition and and everything you know so um that's that's jordan's explanation for the gambling um and, uh, but you know, again, again, they, I like how they're showing all sides here because in the documentary, you know, they show how he wrote a $57,000 check to, I forgot the dude's name, but that, that, uh, 
that shady dude who was like, you know, a money launderer, and that guy went to, you know, the guy was convicted and went to jail, and um, <laughs> and then they asked Jordan, you know, like, why, you know, first he said it was a loan, and then he, he said, no, that's a gambling debt, so, you know, he was, he would, he did gamble, and, and was, you know, people who were criminals at times, and that kind of fuels the whole conspiracy about his dad being murdered by the mafia because if Jordan was gambling with high, you know, important or, you know, people who were more dangerous people, and, um, and then if you find yourself, you know, and this is for Jordan, if you're gambling with the amount of money he's gambling with, you're going to eventually run into, to, uh, your chances of running into more shady people and more dangerous people with the amount of money that you're you're gambling, then um, then uh, you you know you're running you're putting yourself in more riskier situations. So so it it does fuel that theory a little bit. Uh, what is that? And um, you know, unfortunately, well, I mean, fortunately for him is. Uh, what the NBA was scared of, it, was, it had to be that, you know, he, he, Jordan was so great. You just, you just, uh, the NBA just probably feared that he was, he wasn't gambling on NBA games because he was so great. He can influence the point spread, you know, it, it's very easy for that to happen. And, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure that was the, the huge fear the NBA had and, and uh, and if that was the case, I think something like that would have came out by now, um, you know, on this Pete Rose shit, you know, gambling on the game, gambling on the sport. But it sounds like it never got that to that point, and it sounds like Jordan never gambled just for the money. He just gambled because he just likes to compete and gamble and different types of things. So, so that was a big, a big uh, thing. Episode six. Um, and then we got the 93 finals, him versus Charles Barkley and 93. Probably the best team that Jordan faced in the six championship years in the finals. That was a really good team. Barkley was the MVP that year. He was one of the best players in the world at that time. Um, so I, the younger people who think, you know, Charles Barkley wasn't that good or whatever can watch this episode and see how great Charles Barkley was. So that was good to see. And that team was pretty good too. Uh, Kevin Johnson, Dan Marley, Danny Ainge is like on every fucking team. I don't know, how... <laughs> dude. Danny Ainge was on the '80 Celtics. He was on the '92 Blazers team. He was on the '93 Suns team. So we got Danny Ainge again um, in that finals matchup. Uh, but yeah, man, Jordan averaged 41 points in that finals. He had a 50, 54 point game, um, <clears throat> and. Uh, Completed, completed a three-peat, you know, finished off the three-peat that year. So that's where that episode six ended, you know, ended off at Jordan completing that three-peat and just feeling, you know, I think he had the line saying that he felt more, or somebody said that he felt more relief than joy on that third championship because of all the stress and, and just the workload and all the pressure, the media with the, you know, with the accusations of the gambling and and uh, everything was starting to get to him. You know, so so that's where that episode ended off ended off with, and and you really got to see in that episode how truly famous and he's like a like a beetle. Every time he walked out, the media's all over him, and that's the one thing back then that was worse than I think it is today. Today, you can't get away with stuff as easy with the social media, so. So players today have to deal with a lot, you know, being under the microscope a lot more. But um, I think players today have more security when they are out in public and you can't just walk up to them like the way it seemed like Jordan had people walk up to him as soon as he walks out of his hotel room and you have tons of cameras and and reporters and medias all over you. Uh, Nowadays, it just feels like NBA players have more security around them in the locker room and and just when they're out that you can't just have people in media constantly trying to talk to you. So <clears throat> that's something that Jordan had to deal with that I think today's players don't have to deal with as much. Today's players just have to deal with being careful all the time, even when they are alone, because somebody might have a camera or 
or something as soon as something happens you know it's on social media and and uh, they're nitpicking more today but uh, but Jordan had to deal with a lot and you really see see that in episode six so uh, and you see how how hard it was man how hard it was to do that three peat so uh yeah I can't wait till next week it just keeps getting better and better and um and uh I think just next week we're gonna get more and more into like the real the real deep and dark stuff that we got it in we got into on these two episodes so again great documentary um it's definitely I feel like it's definitely gonna win some awards and just be be acclaimed and um and uh it's just it's been it's been a joy to watch it's been a real joy to watch so uh we'll leave it at that and uh let's move it on to the next uh to the next topic here okay now i'm gonna do my top 10 shooting guards of all time um this is uh the second the second top 10 i did i did uh point guards on the last podcast um shooting guards the top half was fairly easy to rank the bottom half got a little more difficult and uh i ended up leaving some person that i thought was going to be for sure in this top 10 and before i get into the top 10 i'm going to talk about uh talk about yeah the person i i, I had to leave off and it, it's a little surprising uh well i might surprise uh some of you uh reggie miller did not make my top 10 and and um already you guys my some of you might be like what the fuck how can you not have reggie miller in your top 10 shooting guards of all time um and uh y'all yeah reggie just missed reggie just missed my top 10 and it hurts a little bit he's a local you know he's from the same city i was born riverside california you know from the ie so he you know is represents one of one of our own here um but uh i he didn't make it he just he just missed it and uh it might piss some people off or people the wrong way but yeah, Reggie Miller didn't make my top 10, so I want to get that out of the way before I got into it. And the person I actually have at number 10 is is uh, Manu Ginobili. Um, yeah, Manu uh, Ginobili, I think, was a better player than Reggie um, at his peak. I, I just think his, when you look, if you look at his, his numbers, they don't stand out that much because he, you know, he was a sixth man on a lot of those Spurs teams and and um and uh you know he he just didn't play as much as as reg as reggie and uh manu came over he came over late from argentina he you know he didn't start his nba career until he was 25 so um so yeah so his numbers don't stand out like reggie's do but i just think he was a better better all-around player than reggie um you know he's a He's a four-time champion, um, had, had you know, one six man of the year awards. Just look at his, his resume. He was a, yeah, four-time champ, was a 08 six man, two-time All-NBA, two-time All-Star. And, and I, yeah, I just think he was a little better than Reggie. He was a, a better all-around, sh- not shooter. No, Reggie was a better shooter for sure. But um, Ginobili was a much better slasher getting to the rim. You know, he was... Brought in that Euro step to the NBA, made that popular. So he was better at finishing at the rim, getting to the rim. Um, better playmaker, better passer than Reggie. Um, Reggie, I think, it's hard to say this, but I think he's a little, little overrated. Um, he can shoot. He's a great shooter. One of the greatest players coming off the of screens. Uh, was clutch, you know. And... You know, never won a championship, but I don't really hold that against him too much. He played in the Jordan era, um, and then when he finally got to the finals after Jordan retired, um, he went up against Shaq and Kobe in that you know in 2000. So, you know, it's just unfortunate. He's you know had his best years and and times where <laughs> there were just other greater players and greater teams. 
Um, but other than, you know, he was an amazing shooter, one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time, who would be even better in today's NBA. But other, other than shooting, he, you know, he didn't do too much else. I think he's like, a, you know, he wasn't a very great defender. He, he uh, only averaged like three rebounds a game, three assists a game. So he wasn't much of a passer or playmaker or and, and he, he wasn't elite in anything else that really stood out. You know, um, you know, he's one of the best ever at what he did, which is shooting, coming off screens, free throw shooting and things like that. But Ginobili was just a much better passer, much better defender than Reggie. Um, I think, uh, you know, just a better one-on-one player getting to the rim. Um, sneaky athletic, you know, we always say that about European people who are athletic. They're just sneaky athletic, but you know, he was an, a better athlete than Reggie, Manu Ginobili. And if he just played more minutes, like if you if you took his numbers per thirty six, then they would be right there with Reggie's and probably better than Reggie's, his per thirty six numbers. Um, yeah, for his career per thirty six, uh, Ginobili was nineteen points a game, five rebounds, five and a half assists. Um, let's go back to Reggie because I just want to compare that. Then Reggie per per thirty six was nineteen points a game. So they playing the same amount of minutes. They average around the same amount of points, you know. But uh, you know Reggie was only nineteen points, three rebounds, three assists. While Ginobili was like nineteen points, five rebounds, five assists, um, and uh, just I think did more, you know. So Reggie did a makeup. Amanda Ginobili at number ten. Over Reggie and uh, and uh, number nine, I had uh, uh, George Gervin, George the Iceman Gervin. So throwback here, uh, one of the original Spurs greats before Ginobili and and uh, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and them became like one of the all-time franchise players. Uh, George the Iceman Gervin was her was her all time player before then, along with David Robinson, of course. Um, Gervin didn't win a ring, he didn't win a championship, but a uh, Hall of Famer, twelve time All Star, was one of the best scorers ever. Um, yeah, he won he won four scoring titles. So even though he didn't win a ring, just you know winning four scoring titles for his career, he averaged twenty five point one points a game, which is you know right around where Kobe averaged for his career. So George Gervin has the same career scoring average that Kobe had, you know, so uh, that's pretty impressive. He he had two years there where he averaged over 30, 33.1 points a game in 1980, and 32.3 in 82. Um, yeah, 4 scoring champ. He was a great scorer, just one of the greatest scorers of all time. Shot 50% for his career, so he was efficient. He wasn't just a guy chucking up shots and, and like, uh, getting his numbers that way. Um he did it, you know, he did it efficiently as well. Also, was pretty, you know, all-around, pretty good all-around player. Um, 5.3 rebounds for his career, 1.2 steals, one block a game, which is which is pretty good for a guard there. Um, you know, before my time, but, you know, just looking looking at what he did, looking at his numbers, um, you got to give him some props. Or he has to be on this list, you know. He he put up too too many good numbers and had too many good years to not be on this list. So uh, George Gervin at number nine. And number number eight, uh, Ray Allen. So Ray Allen, kind of a little bit of a better better version of Reggie Miller. So Ray Allen is also considered one of the greatest three point shooters of all time. Uh, he ended up breaking Reggie Miller's record. Uh, so right, he's the current, you know, he owns the current record of most three point three pointers in uh, of all time. You know, it's going to be shattered here in the next couple of years with the way the NBA is now. But uh, Ray Allen, yeah, like a better, just a better version of Reggie. Uh, so I have him on the list over him as well. So um, I think people forget in his prime. That Ray Allen was just a really good all-around player. You know, he was athletic. He can dunk on people. He can shoot off the dribble. He can score in any way. He can score at the basket. He can score in the mid-range. Um, he wasn't just his three-point shooter. You know, 
he he became that at the end of his career. But Real at his peak, you know, was was an all around scorer. Um, you know, he had seasons. He had a season twenty six point four points a game was his best twenty five points a game. So he was like a twenty five point a game guy um, with Seattle, and then uh, was on good teams. You know, it was never good enough to get them over the hump. Um, but he was, you know, on good teams in Seattle. He was on good teams with the Milwaukee Bucks. Took him, took them to the conference finals one year. Um, so he was, you know, he was just a great all-around player before he just became the three-point specialist. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, yeah, he had a long career, Hall of Famer, ten-time uh, All-Star. Did end up winning two rings. You know, hit the biggest shot. One of the biggest shots in and uh, NBA Finals history. We all know Game Six, three pointer in the corner um, to save the the Heat season and save the Big Three's legacy. You know that's I think that shot that he made has so much more weight to almost any other NBA Finals shot in NBA history um, because of that shot. If he misses that shot, then the Heat lose in the Finals again. You know the the um LeBron and the big three he only have one ring to show for in their four years and that's that would definitely look that as a disappointment. You know, we look at that as a successful era now because of that shot. So <clears throat> so that was, you know, one of the clutchest shots ever. And uh also one uh with the with the Celtics as well. So yeah, Ray Allen number eight And then at number seven, I got the boy, Allen Iverson. AI, so. Iverson, uh, a little harder ranked too because some people, you know, he, he, you know, he wasn't really, he didn't have a position really. He was the size of a point guard, but he played like a shooting guard. And his, if you look at his basketball reference page, he was listed as a shooting guard. And, that's what I remembered Iverson as a shooting guard uh, for most of his career. So Eric Snow was a point guard on a lot of those teams, and Iverson was a starting shooting guard. So I put him on the shooting guards here. Um, <clears throat> so we just we just know how important and impactful Iverson was to the NBA and for popularizing the game. He he's an an icon because of. You know his status and just how how bad he was, man. The crossover, um, you know, one of the first dudes that really brought in swag and and like hip hop culture to the NBA like that. Um, the tattoos and the arm sleeve. I think Iverson was like the first person I can remember that had an arm sleeve. You know, like the headband. Like he was just so iconic, and that definitely gives him some. Some brownie points in this list because of that. Um, didn't win a championship. Wasn't always the easiest guy to build a team around, but you know the fact that he took took a team to the finals, won an MVP in the middle of the Shaq era. You know showed how great he was. Uh, four-time scoring champion, seven-time All NBA, uh, and uh, you know career twenty-six point seven points a game. You know so. That's up there. That's amongst the, the some of the best scorers of all time, pound for pound, one of the best best scorers and toughest players of all time. So his career didn't end well. You know, it just it just abruptly ended um, once he got older and his athleticism started to fade. It's it's kind of hard to to build a you know a team around a, a undersized you know high volume shooting guard who doesn't you know particularly shoot well you know so it's one of those once your athleticism athleticism fades for the type of player that he was it's going to be hard to to be to be great you know so but still man he one of the best pound for pound players ever and uh got him at number number seven number six uh Clyde the Glide Drexler Talked about Clyde a little bit uh, over the recap of the Jordan documentary. Uh, Clyde the Glide was just a really good all-around player. Uh, for those that don't know, he's 
you know, if it wasn't for Jordan, he probably would be talked about more, but just a great all-around player. Uh, no, he's, I just think he was a little better than Iverson and Ray Allen just as an all-around player because he can do it all. Uh, Clyde the God in his prime was like 25 point, points a game, but also would average like seven rebounds and seven assists. So he was just kind of like shooting guard that could facilitate, you know, could pass and pass well and rebound well. And he was a great defender and he was athletic, had the wingspan, had the, the all-around game. So, um, yeah, just, you know, was good enough to, to lead, be the best player on two teams that went to the NBA Finals in 1990 and 92. So it showed that, you know, he, he was good enough to, to take your team there. Maybe not good enough to win, like get you over the hump, but good enough to get you there. Then once you join with Hakeem and he became the number two option, that's when he won a championship. So, uh, yeah, Clyde the Glide won. No, 10-time All-Star Hall of Famer. Five-time All-NBA, just one of the best all-around players ever. So, uh, just forgot about a little bit because he played in the Jordan era and was the second-best shooting guard in the Jordan era. So, but a great player. So, yeah. And uh, number five, James Harden. James Harden, number five. <clears throat> so, the only active player on this list that I have here is James Harden. And he's number five. He's climbing on up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to speak too much about him. You should already know who James Harden is, how he plays. Hasn't won, won a ring yet. I think the, um, he has to win a ring to really climb up this list now at this point. I don't care what he does statistically anymore. I don't care if he wins another MVP. It's all about getting it done in the playoffs. So we'll leave it at that. You know, he's one of the best scorers I ever um kind of hard to watch him play sometimes the way the fouls and the way he draws fouls and all that i get all that so it is frustrating at times but can't knock the skill count can't knock his skill level and and he's you know durable player plays like every game it's always out there you know and uh he just needs to get it done in the playoffs he needs to at least get to the finals you know yeah and then maybe uh he'll he might go up a little bit more here. Um, I think I think it's going to be hard for James Harden to crack my top three. Uh, but I do think he can get past this person at number four. And that's Jerry West. Who I have at number four. <clears throat> yeah, Jerry West too is another guy that it's hard to rank him if you want to put him as a shooting guard or point guard. Or whatever it may be. Uh, but he played a majority of his career as a shooting guard. So, uh... I put him here on this list. Uh, the logo, the man who's the NBA logo. <clears throat> yeah, he, you know, if you want to look at his basketball resume, for those that don't know, uh, he he is the only player to win an NBA Finals MVP on the losing team. So he won the first ever NBA Finals MVP in 1969 on the Lakers, who lost to the Celtics. And But he still was so great in this series that he, they gave him the Finals MVP. <clears throat> so a great playoff performer, great NBA Finals performer, even though he only won one ring. <clears throat> uh, but still, even though he only, he only won one one ring and then in that seventy-two season, he still has the Finals MVP to show show for how you know how great he was in the Finals. Um, got there just about every year and lost to the Celtics in the sixties. <clears throat> Fourteen-time All Star, five-time All Defense. Um, Played shooting guard all the way up to 1970. Then the last four years of his career changed to point guard. And when he became a point guard, he became like the best point guard in the league. He actually led the league in assists in 72 with 9.7 a game. <clears throat> For his career, 27 points a game. Which is probably like, I don't know, it has to be at least top, top five or six all time. That scoring average. 5.8 rebounds, 6.7 assists. So he did it all. Um... And, uh, you know, played a long time ago, but he, uh, he was so great in that era that uh, I think uh, he warrants a high ranking here still. So I do think Harden, by the end of it all, probably would have Harden ahead of him. But for now, I still have what's that for? And then um, number three, D. Wade, 
Dwayne Wade at number three. Uh, my top three was easy. So D Wade at number three. Um, three-time champion, we know about that. 06 and Finals MVP. In um, his prime, was just so good in his prime. In his prime, he was right there with Kobe, man. Um, that like 07, 08, 09 Dwayne Wade it was really good. <clears throat> well, probably the greatest shot blocker for a shooting guard ever, maybe second to Jordan when it comes to shot blocking. Um, super athletic. Uh, I think people people forget how, how good Dwayne Wade was in his prime. He was like 30 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds. Like Really solid all-around player, all-around numbers. Could defend, block shots. Um, wasn't ever a great outside shooter, but he was so good at attacking the basket and getting to the rim where... Where he didn't have to be a great outside shooter and he was still efficient. He would shoot, you know, 48, 49, 50% from the field um, because he was just so great at finishing and got to his spots and played efficiently. So, um, yeah, man, uh, D Wade, easy, easy choice for me there. Uh, um, and let's move it on. Let's move it on here. Well, let me just go through Dwayne Wade's accolades. Uh, talk about the three-time champion. He won a scoring title in 09, eight-time All-NBA, uh, 13-time All-Star with the 06 Finals MVP. So, yeah, Flash, number three. <clears throat> number two, of course, uh, it's going to be easy uh, for me. Uh, it's Kobe. Kobe, uh, my favorite player of all time. Um, I have him, you know, second-best shooting guard of all time uh, behind Jordan, of course, so. Don't have to say much more, you know. Kobe, number two. Um, Five-time champ. MVP. three, Two-time finals MVP. Scoring titles. Did it all. One of the best two-way players. Uh, all defensive first team almost every year. All, all NBA first team almost every year. So, just one of the, you know, did it on both ends of the court. The closest thing we saw to Jordan. Um, but, you know, Jordan was still it's a, little, a little better there. That's why I... Of course, I'm going to have Jordan at number one um, um, at the top shooting guard of all time. And I'm not even going to, we know about his accolades, you know, we're talking about it on the documentary. So I won't talk too much more about it. Uh, so, yeah, let's recap that. Um, number number 10, Manu Ginobili, number 9, George Gervin, number 8, Ray Allen, number 7, Allen Iverson. Number six, Clyde Drexler. Number five, James Harden. Number four, Jerry West. Number three, Dwayne Wade. Number two, Kobe, RIP. And number one, Michael Jordan. So that's my list of top ten shooting guards of all time. Hope you enjoy it. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, let me know what your list would be. So let's uh, end it there with that one. So. All right, last topic for this episode is um what I – Wanted to talk about about um, Better Call Saul and uh, being as good as Breaking Bad. Um, so I'll keep it a little bit shorter because we're getting uh, here on closing on an hour on this episode. So excuse me. So yeah, um, season five of Better Call Saul got me thinking: is is this show now as good as Breaking Bad? You know, and. To my, no, I, I've been amazed at what Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould have done with the show, and uh, and um, just how you know they've gotten better at things, a few things that, and in Breaking Bad. Now, the one thing that Breaking Bad has is is Breaking Bad is a more interesting story. You no, know, um, high school teacher gets diagnosed with cancer and starts selling crystal masks is like just such a more interesting story than um struggling lawyer um trying to you know make it in in the industry and become you know a successful lawyer and has these obstacles he has to deal with and and things like that and it's a more interesting story with Breaking Bad so that's what impresses me though more with Better Call Saul is I think Better Call Saul has going into the show it had less to work with because the the story isn't quite as intri- intriguing as as you know Walter White's story of becoming Heisenberg becoming you know Breaking Bad right 
you know, the story of Jimmy of becoming Saul isn't quite as inter- interesting of a story as Walt becoming Heisenberg. So I um and that and plus it was a prequel, so we know where a lot of these characters end up and what ends up happening to them. So because of that, Better Call Saul had more um kind of have you know starting from uh not having the same start point that Breaking Bad did or or it's more 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 working against Better Call Saul to be successful, you know. Um but that's what impresses me so much about the show is that you know going into the show we knew what happens with Saul, we knew what happened with what happens with uh Mike um uh, once they once they introduce Gus in Better Call Saul, we know what happens with Gus. So, so we know what happens with all, a lot of these characters, but it's they still put them in situations where, if you watch this season, I'm not gonna give away spoilers for those that haven't watched it yet. But if you watch this season, um, you see how Saul and Mike and Gus and these characters that we know from Breaking Bad are still put in these situations where you're like, how are they going to figure this one out? How are they going to get out of this situation um, alive? Or how are they going to, you know, what's going to happen to them? So you still have this feeling. And that is an attribute, you know, you attribute that to the writing. And I feel like the storytelling and the writing might be, you know, it's as good as Breaking Bad, if not better, because... Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold had really just really just like done wonders with the writing and, and the, the direction. You don't know where you, even though you know where the character ends up, you don't know how they're going to get there. And that's hard to do, you know. Um, and and not just that with the new characters. Kim, Kim Wexler is by far the best female character they've had in this uh, Breaking Bad universe. No disrespect to to um, Anna Gunn, who plays Skyler, who did a great job playing her. But her character, you know, that was the one knock against Breaking Bad where the female characters just weren't as strong, you know. Um, Skyler, I think, towards the end had her moments. And, you know, Anna Gunn did a great job portraying her. So no disrespect to the actress. It's more so with the just the character itself. Um and that, um, and Marie was, you know, Marie was just Marie, you know, <laughs> she was just, you know, she didn't get a lot of background about Marie and, um, you know, uh, she, we, all we knew from Marie is that she has a problem with stealing stuff, with shopping, and she's addicted to the color purple, like, not the movie, but like the actual color purple, everything in her house was purple and, and all that, so. Um, and that would have been nice to see like more background and, you know, maybe why she doesn't have kids is it, you know, things like that, you know, little questions like that. Um, so we didn't get a lot of, uh, we didn't get a lot from the female characters in Breaking Bad. Other, uh, the only other female characters in the show were Jesse's girlfriends, which was Jane, who was, you know, a good character, but same time, you know, had her flaws too. And, and, um, you know wasn't on the show that long anyways and and then uh, Andrea wasn't Jesse's second girlfriend you know she was just kind of you know just kind of there to have another just another character for for Jesse to to have and be with and and she was more there for Jesse's character not for anything about her herself right it was more for Jesse's storyline having Andrea there and then tying Andrea with with uh with Combo's killing, with uh, her brother, little brother being the one that killed Combo. So it was, she was more there to tie Jesse's story arc together. Not, you know, she didn't really bring that much to the role, you know. Again, no disrespect to the actress, just the way that character was written. And, um, and then Lydia at the end, only there for one season. So not a lot from the female characters in Breaking Bad, but Better Call Saul with Kim, she is, uh, again, no spoilers for season five, but 
she's just a great character, man. And and she's not in Breaking Bad, so you know it doesn't end well for her, or at least it doesn't end well for her and Jimmy's relationship. They're not together in Breaking Bad, so it's gonna be so sad when you know when that happens. Um, but man, what they've done with her character, the writing, um, her her real name's slip, slipping right now, but the actress. Uh, such a great job, and um, that's one thing I can argue that might be better. The writing in this show is so well done, and the character development might be even better than Breaking Bad. You see, just what they've done with uh, with Jimmy turning to Saw, Bob Odenkirk, a great job, amazing range he showed in the show. A uh, guy that was seen as comic relief and Better Call Saul, right? So. Um, that's what's so impressive, you know. Saul was he was a great character in Breaking Bad, but he was just there to be funny and and had to be that comic relief, and it was great. But you you see all this depth added to him and and Better Call Saul, and then it makes it even more sad. And when you go back and watch him in Breaking Bad now, same thing with Mike, especially seeing how it ends for him in Breaking Bad, and then watching the show. So Gus as well. So. Um, yeah, the writing, the writing, and then the cinematography, and the scenes, and the acting, and the storytelling, I feel, is right there with Breaking Bad, where you can make the argument now that Better Call Saul is just as good as Breaking Bad, and, um, and yeah, just, I'm keeping this short, because I don't want to give away spoilers, so, maybe in a few months, because the show just ended two weeks ago, I'll get into why I feel that way more because then I'll talk about spoilers, you know, I'll give people the time to watch it. Um, but it's something I want to talk about. It's a question I want to, you know, pose to people that have seen it, you know, uh, maybe I'll put a poll It's better call Saul just as good as breaking bad now. So, um, spending a few minutes on that, uh, we're already past an hour here. So let's finish this up. Uh, I wanted to get into more. I might get into more with with that at uh, at a different time. Um, but yeah, let's let's finish it here. Uh, this this episode of uh, Creative Collision podcast, and uh, I'll probably see you guys next week. See everyone next week to talk about uh, talk about uh, the next episodes of uh, the Last Dance episodes uh, seven and eight, and we'll see what else we discuss too. Um, So yeah, have a good day, everybody. Be safe. Um, Take care and catch you guys on the next one.